Hello, and welcome to Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Brandon Michael Loudon. Brandon is a book writer, composer, and lyricist whose work deals with contemporary themes like self-loathing and love gone bad, as well as more traditional musical theater subjects like women's sports and artificial intelligence. He has degrees in musical theater writing from the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at NYU and in electrical engineering. Find out more about him and his website, bookmusiclyrics.com. We're going to talk today about the musical Venice. Welcome, Brandon. Hi, Shoshana. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. So we're going to get started with um, our first segment, which is get to know the guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? I was in fifth grade, and our whole class took a field trip to see the dress rehearsal of the, the Associated High School's production of Oklahoma, oh, nice. which I feel like is a very good first musical to see, as yeah. it was the first musical by mm-hmm. certain standards. Uh, I mean, in terms of the modern age of musicals, I, I think a lot of people started there. And um, it's a classic in many ways. And I loved it mm-hmm. and was totally taken with it and, and thought, you know, one of my classmates' uh, brothers was, uh, was Will and I, I thought he was so funny. I was like, this is great. These are, these are yeah. regular people, but they're being other people. That's so funny. And I, I mean, I was so hooked, but like the moment he walked on stage, sing that song yeah. about what a beautiful morning it was. And I just, I was delighted by it. And I was like singing the songs to myself all week. And, um, you know, it was great. And it's funny because I, that wasn't like, and then I caught the theater bug and became mm-hmm. a musical theater person. I didn't really get deep into musicals until college, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I always enjoyed and, and loved and appreciated them, and starting with Oklahoma, which yeah, is a good one to start with. Definitely. And we were talking a little bit before about how like local high school musicals are just such a great way to get kids into musicals, um, especially if they're not living in New York. Um, you know, to be able to just go to the New York theater all the time. But um, yeah, because my first musicals that I saw were also high school musicals from our local high school. And uh, to me, they were like Broadway. They were like to that, yeah. that yeah. level. Um, you know, all I had were was, you know, the high school musical and, and uh, the, the VHS of My Fair Lady to go mm-hmm. by. And um, yeah, people forget that that's, that's important for most people who like musicals. (laughs) Great. So next question, what is the last great musical you saw and why? I think that was The Band's Visit, which I saw. It's currently running. Go see it. It's not really an obvious blockbuster in any way, Mm -hmm. which is part of what I loved about it. I saw it first uh, when it was downtown at the Atlantic last year, the Mm -hmm. year before. And when it transferred, I... uh, plan to see it again it is exquisite is is the word i would use to describe it it's very small and yet it fills 
a Broadway stage. I like that it, I think my favorite thing about it is you go in sort of thinking, unless you know what it is, because it is based on a film, but if you don't know what it is, mm -hmm. you sort of expect it to be one thing and to be about, you know, it's, it's about a, a, an Egyptian police band that goes to a town in Israel and they, they accidentally get stuck in a small town in the middle of the desert instead of the place they were going to play at the symphony hall and, and have to stay with the townspeople overnight. So you think, oh, okay, it's this Arabic band, this uh, Israeli town, we're going to get into that whole thing. Right, right. And yet it's, it's really not about that in right. a way that it, it somehow is about that. Like that it, the fact that it's not about that is what it's about in a way right, right. that I find really compelling and interesting yeah. and, and very human. Is there an older or classic musical that you saw recently uh, for the first time? And if so, what was your experience with it? So I have two answers to this. I thought of two musicals that I'd seen in the last couple of years that I had known for a long time but not yet seen. Mm -hmm. And had, especially like in college when I got into musicals, had listened to these recordings on repeat from, from the original productions. Um, and uh, finally got to see them live. And one was Falsettos, mm, yeah. uh, which was wonderful. And the other was Pacific Overtures, mm, yeah. which I had longed my whole life to see. Just the sheer weirdness of putting that particular musical on stage mm -hmm. is in and of itself breathtaking to me. Yeah. And, and just... It was stunning to watch that be performed and and remember this is a real musical that that was written you know in, in 1976 about such a strange tiny subject and and the songs are so weird that score is magnificent mm -hmm. and and really unlike almost any other musical out there in both cases like the biggest thrill was getting to see these songs that I listened to for years and years and mm -hmm. years and actually experienced them like they were meant to be experienced. Right, right. And I found myself like tearing up at the strangest moments, mm -hmm. things that were just, just lines that had stuck in my memory that weren't even particularly emotional and of themselves, but just like, yeah. now, I'm, now I'm really hearing it. Right, and right. I was thrilling. Is there a musical, uh, either one you saw recently or an older one, that has taught you something valuable about the craft of writing, since you are a writer? So I saw the Frank Wildhorn musical Wonderland. Oh, I, I didn't see that one. And then there was this song that sung by like this knight in shining armor type character, mm -hmm. but who was sort of a side comic relief character. And it was in the style of like a late 90s, early 2000s boy band song. Okay. And it was pretty great. Yeah. And I love that kind of music. I grew up listening to that. You know, I was in, in middle school when, you know, NSYNC and right, BSB right. were in their heyday. And um, I still enjoy listening to a lot of those songs. And, you know, they, they work. And maybe it's nostalgia or maybe it's just because Max Martin crafted them to be perfect mm -hmm. and, and play upon the brain in that way. But right. um, it was a pretty solid version of a boy band song and pretty catchy. And I completely perked up. It was, it was the most life-giving moment in the yeah. whole show for me. 
uh, by a lot. And so I was pretty delighted and thought, you know, that was a lot of fun. But also, how, it was kind of like a winking parody of a mm-hmm. boy band song. It was like, you know, oh, yeah, like, we're cheesing it up. Because yeah. you, you recognize, it felt like you recognize that, that boy band songs suck. And, and yeah. so, so this guy kind of sucks, right? But, but this is funny. Right, right. And I thought, how much better would this number have been? if it wasn't played for laughs or irony and was just sincerely a fun and good 90s boy band Mm -hmm. banger. Yeah. And and we got to just enjoy that and and feel the joy of that and and genuinely appreciate that, you know, the humor and, and silliness and fun inherent in that instead of at some level of remove. Right. And, and I, like and that's the lesson to me is like never why would you write the ironic winking jaded version of a thing when you could write the genuine version and have it be so much better yeah and and i think it's about it's it's condescending right it was what it is and i think you know it's it's deadly to be condescending as a writer hmm. condescending to your audience condescending to your characters but in this case I think, worst of all, to be condescending to the very medium you are working in right. is just just a terrible misstep. And and you know, and the thing is, like Frank Wildhorn could have written that to be a gloriously yeah. on the money, sincere, fun, goofy but catchy right. boy band number, and you know, and chose but chose to deflect it in that way and right you know don't do that if you're yeah yeah don't do that go for this thing that's real it actually this kind of reminds me of um another instance of this i think what you're talking about in a musical which is honestly sincere and bye bye birdie but that actually like is like a sincere moment of this a song that i love yeah a song with wondrously fun lyrics it's so committed. I mean, you know, when I sing about a tree, I really, I really feel, feel that, that tree. tree. That's a great <laughs> lyric, and it's and it's inherently silly and funny, but it doesn't feel like it's mocking the character right. who's delivering it. It feels like they're as aware as we are of how silly and yet kind of great it is. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now we can turn our attention to Venice. Um, so Venice... Uh, was a or is a musical it was at the public theater in their lab uh five years ago and but it had some uh workshop productions before that and uh, i saw the production um and uh at the time i also spoke to one of the writers uh about it for an article and um but uh it's been five years um and it's uh brandon is gonna Refresh my memory of this of this show. Okay, yeah. So why don't you uh, start by telling us about Venice and why you chose this musical to talk about? I went to the public theater, saw this musical. Okay, it was epic rap, rap musical, starring this the uh, the writer and act, uh, actor uh, rapper. Um, very charismatic guy uh, had Leslie Odom Jr. as this brewing villain. It was it was you know epic rap 
uh, you know, very familiar to another musical that I would see later at the public mm-hmm. that also had a charismatic writer, actor, rapper lead and Leslie Odom as a That's brooding true. villain and um, was this epigraph musical. And uh, they had very different fates, um, mm-hmm. the, the latter being Hamilton, which of course will run for all eternity, and Venice, which was pretty much panned by the critics and disappeared from existence. Uh, and I liked them both equally. <laughs> uh, you know, and perhaps even like Venice a little bit more. And I have found almost no one who agrees with that opinion. I I will say that I've not seen Hamilton, so I couldn't. I cannot say um, which one uh, I would like better. But um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think I know anyone else with that <laughs> with that opinion. Yeah, I, it's it's very you know. It's strange because it's not like it's divisive. Right. Everyone agrees except me and a few other people I've talked to. I think it was one of the dozen or so best things I have ever seen. Wow. And um, I thought it was going to be the next big thing. Like, I yeah. thought it would be what Hamilton would be. Like, I left, you know, at intermission of Hamilton, I was like, oh, this is going to run forever and ever on Broadway. And I was mm-hmm. right. But I also said that at intermission of Venice, and yeah. I have never been more wrong. <laughs> and I. For me, it's so hard to understand that because I don't, uh, you know, with other musicals I've disliked, I've understood why people like them or vice versa. Yeah. And and there were opinions in between, but this one, it's just universally disliked and maybe, you know, uh, 1% of people really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And that's so strange to me. And I can think of a few things that... I mean, I guess everything that exists has fans, probably. Yeah. I've just never been part of that group for anything else, I don't think. Right, where you're just <laughs> like this very small group. Um, and I think this particular musical is worth examining because there's a lot to understand about the way an audience perceives something and that maybe answering the question, like, why did I come away from this? Right. absolutely thrilled and almost no one else did what what does that say about the different way in which I must have approached this because it it can't be like I don't it seems hard to believe that my barometer for aesthetic value and taste and just general quality could be that far off yeah based on all of my other opinions tend to fall somewhere within the spectrum of what people would expect so this is a weird outlier so it I can't be just wrong about it. There has to be some reason for my experiencing it very differently. And maybe if we can understand that, we can understand something about what it is to be an audience member at a musical and and how how that happens and and how you receive things. Right. Um, So I guess to briefly describe it and, and, and let you in on... Uh, what Venice is about. So it's set in Venice, a fictional dystopian city, uh, and it's like a city-state under military corporate rule, and there's a character named Venice also, and I I accept the critique that this was confusing. <laughs> I, you know, if, if, if the names were changed, it might have been a little more effective. I, I can see where people were annoyed with that, or if it felt 
weirdly symbolic and and I get where people are coming from but you know to me that's not that big a deal right but there's a character named Venice also who's sort of this idealistic revolutionary leader and then his childhood sweetheart Willow who's like one of the rich wealthy military industrial complex running people who defects to come into the sort of uh, destitute city and join forces with him so that they can bring peace to the city. It's very allegorical, future dystopia kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I understand that's very genre, and a lot of people might not like that, and I get that, but I, you know, that might be, oh, that's not your bag for some percentage of people, not everyone across the board. Right. Um, and then the, protag- uh, the antagonist is Marcos, uh, and this is played by Leslie Odom Jr., and, um, who is basically a sort of loose adaptation of Iago from Othello. Mm-hmm. And he is Venice's half-brother, and he's in the military and wants power and does a lot of shady things to get it and is very deceptive and untrustworthy, much like Iago. Mm-hmm. Um, a really great villain character, I thought, and, and yeah. very compelling. And then his wife, Emilia, who is Emilia, essentially, um, although, again, you know, they're, they're analogous, but they're not really direct adaptations. And those are basically the four major characters, and it kind of follows Venice's attempt uh, with Willow's help to bring peace to the city, um, his suspicion of Willow because of lies that Marcos, his, his evil half-brother, feeds him, and then... Emilia helping to unravel the plot mm-hmm. and you know realizing her husband is not who she thinks and uh, trying to find a way to stop Venice from believing him and stop his machinations so that the city can in fact be saved and it's you know it's an epic story it's jealousy betrayal uh, you know desire for power and I think ultimately is about uh, the moment of choosing to do the right thing when when the time comes. Stylistically, it's guided by this rapping narrator called the Clown MC, who's also the, the lyricist. And that's Matt... Matt Sachs. Yeah. Yes, and Eric Rosen was the composer, although they uh, blended together, I believe. Oh, director... Uh, <clears throat> yes, director well. and... Oh, yeah, was he... he or maybe he, he was He was the, the book writer. Book writer. Sort of like a co-lyricist a little bit and then also yes. director. Right? Yes, and director. It's pretty much a rock opera in terms of it's basically sung through. Uh, the music is very contemporary. I would say it is the most convincingly modern rock, pop, R&B, hip-hop, rap, whatever, what have you, EDM. The most convincing modern contemporary music score I have heard in all of musical theater. Uh, I think there are very few of those, but yeah. I, I think it... it it is shockingly up to date in terms of the sound in a way that almost nothing I've ever seen ever has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and that alone was exciting. And I thought, you know, it was thematically dense and it was fun as hell mm-hmm. and it was just refreshing. And I, you know, I walked out of there thrilled by it. I mean, many of the reviews were just made it sound like it was lugubrious and overly serious. Right. And I, I didn't take any of that away at all, Um, you know, but, well, we can get into why that might have been, but. Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about it. Why do you think, 
you know, this show had trouble finding an audience. And I mean, when I saw it, again, it's been five years, but I kind of remember, you know, feeling a little lost in it. It was really hard to find my bearings a lot. It, it, so I, I mean, I, I guess I count myself as one of those <laughs> people yeah, who, well. I mean, and I went in knowing quite a bit about it because I had interviewed the, the writer and uh, Eric Rosen and I, and I still, it was very hard for me to like find my bearings in it. Interesting, interesting. I mean, I, I mean, it's interesting for me to hear firsthand what other people thought. And I did. I asked friends to tell me if they had particular thoughts on it, um, and I got some good responses. And we'll get into that. But yeah. um, just to just to give everyone an idea of things that were said about it. So uh, here's here's just a quick headline of the reviews. This is what you put on the on the marquee. <laughs> uh, so Huffington Post, an incomprehensible mess. Time out, New York a bleakly preposterous mess it can only be scoffed at. Oh my gosh. New York Post, poorly written, limply staged, and feebly acted. An embarrassment to everyone involved. This is one of my all-time favorite musicals. So <laughs> the best review of it was like, oh, good try. Yeah. And again, I thought it was sensational right right. so i i pondered in the ensuing five years mm -hmm. how this could be and i mean i've thought about this time and time again and you know i i i, I think i have an answer i have two answers and i think one is probably more likely and then one is a little more of a of a hot take yeah so we'll do the more real answer first which is um, and, and this is something a, a friend who had seen it and who had, had been working at the public at the time, um, so had, had a lot of knowledge of it going into it, or, or to some degree at least. Right. Um, he suggested to me, and I think this, this explanation sticks, is that it was marketed as hip-hop Othello, mm. which I would say the problem with that is it is not. So, right, right. so it may have been a problem of mislabeling. And I think in a larger sense, audiences did not know how to receive it. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily know if it's the piece's fault that it did not guide them correctly, right. or if it was the marketing, or if it was some flaw of how we go into musicals that was that made it impossible for them to be ready for this kind of sui generis piece. Yeah. Um, because it's not really like a lot of other musicals. It's, yeah. it's pretty unusual in what it is stylistically and in terms of format. It's, it's combining a lot of things that are familiar, but in a way right. that I can't think of a lot of similar notable musicals off the top of my head that are right. like that. And... Um, you know, if you went into it thinking it was going to be, oh, this is hip-hop Othello, mm -hmm. you would be baffled. Right. And I think that that contributed to people's perception that it was, like, throwing uh, archetypes and, and right. literary references at the wall, like, a, in a hackneyed way. Right. Because I didn't feel it did that, but... I could see if you went in thinking it was going to be one thing, getting that perception from it. But I'm curious what your hot take 
Okay, so my, my hot take is that I think it has to do with timing and worldview. Mm-hmm. And I think that Venice presents a worldview that suggests uh, it's a world in which a major terrorist attack 20 years ago basically ruined the nation, sending it into this backspin of, of regression and oppression of, of minority groups and ever-increasing inequality and uh, division and contentiousness from which it, it has not recovered. Yeah. Um, and that's a very dark idea. And it certainly wasn't how people felt about America in 2013. Yeah. At least the people who are going to see a public lab production. Right. Um, whereas something like Hamilton, which I would describe as like the most similar show I can think of to, to Venice, right. um, has a worldview that kind of flatters a sort of jingoistic optimism and a feel-goodery about you know the yeah. the you know the the building blocks of democracy and and the the heritage of our nation and like the the direction we're moving is a good one and like look now we're in, you know including all these other stories in in the story of this nation and you know it's really optimistic and positive and and that was how people were feeling in in 2015 when when that show came along and it really it you know caught the zeitgeist at the right moment i think that today it's very clear to me which one of those views of America is more accurate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wonder if those musicals would be received differently and, yeah. or, or perhaps even you know, portrayed differently in the world we now know we live in. Right. Um, so I think, I think that does have something to do with it because I think that the, the bleaker thing was harder to get on board with even though it was ultimately an uplifting story and even though a lot of what excited me about it was like that I was really just jamming to the tunes and 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 found it like full of this positive energy it it was essentially saying like 9-11 ruined America and we've gone backwards since then yeah which I think is true but yeah. well, it's, it's hard in, to hard to accept and something people weren't really yeah, into thinking. Well, at that and time. it's also interesting because it really like it took it down like a much more extreme path than we ever than we ever went down. At least the people who are going to a public lab exactly <laughs> production are going to think about because you know when I when I talked to um, Eric Rosen about the show and he he said something about about it that was like it's is not this is not the future this is not the past this is really the present it's happening in Syria it's happening you know in Egypt you know it's happening now in all these places but in America we just really don't have that experience and um, I think it's really hard for us to really feel that that is a reality especially since like you're saying like this terrorist attack happened it's supposed to kind of be like 9-11 but that's not the real like the reality that is in the show in venice is not the reality that we're living in and yet it's supposed to be america um so you are kind of experiencing venice as like this um kind of this dystopian like fantasy that's not 
your reality. And maybe that did present kind of a, a wall for people that they couldn't get mm. into it. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the score. I, I found it so thrilling to hear, because this is one of my few experiences of, of going to a musical I knew nothing about and hearing music that I could be plugging into now, like right. downloading and, and listening to today. And, and I so rarely have that experience. I mean, Hamilton was a little bit that too, but even mm-hmm. that felt like it was calling back to maybe, you know, 10 years ago on, on the radio. Mm-hmm. And, and Venice really felt... I mean, it, it was definitely referencing like, you know, Nicki Minaj and things that were yeah, happening like yeah. that exact moment. And I think that, I mean, I think that's part of what like didn't help is that some people aren't as, as programmed to, to take in a rock score from a musical. Yeah. And even if they are, it's probably not really what I would call a rock score it's like a sound alike that that has been mm-hmm. written by people who are you know would rather be writing what we think of as show tunes mm-hmm. and just right. just you know they don't always necessarily come from that world and i just think it's it's so distinctive in the world of, of rock and pop musicals because yeah. so few of them feel to me like they get it right it's either they bring in a writer from that world right. who doesn't know how to do the musical part or they have a writer who can do a musical but is is just sort of aping the conventions of, of rock and not really bringing us the attitude. I mean, I think one of the few other writers who really did that authentically is Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And not always. I think he's made, you know, some pretty garbagey facsimiles of what rock, mm-hmm. rock and pop should be. But, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar, that's legit. That's I mean, rock when I saw, I, I saw the Jesus Christ Superstar for the first time in the revival that was, I guess, like six years ago now. Great and, production. Yeah, and I saw it and I was like, oh, this is what a rock opera is. I get it now. <laughs> yes, yes. Here's a question I have that, I don't know, maybe you can speak to this but as I was listening to the cast recording of Venice I noticed like how much information is conveyed in the rap sections and comes through very quickly and I was thinking about another Sondheim quote or when he's talking about like the principles of lyrics which is that lyrics exist in time and I was thinking about like maybe is it possible I was so lost because so much um information was coming at me at this like extremely fast rate and I couldn't always get everything and when I listen to the cast recording and listening to it over and over again so I'm hearing more but in the theater itself perhaps Mm. that I mean I I don't know if that is the same in Hamilton having not seen it maybe you can speak to that um if there's like a if if there's a way they do it in that show but um yeah. I mean, I, it's possible you're hitting on what the major problem of it was. I don't know that I, I mean, yeah, it's going to sound like I'm saying like, well, I'm better at understanding lyrics, <laughs> you know, like, that, but that's not, I, no, I think, yeah. again, it might be just an ear training thing, yeah, not, yeah. Not tra- but like just a, 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 an act, 
being acclimated to that sort right, of thing. Right, which admittedly I'm not. I don't yeah. listen to that musical style. Right. That yeah. Often. So so for me, like I, you know, grew up listening to a lot of, you know, a lot of rap. I mean, I was, right. you know, I was in like seventh grade when Eminem hit. Well, especially in Venice, where there is, there's a lot to set up the relationships, the the setup of, you know, there's this, there's been this terrorist attack, all that. There's a lot to really um, convey. And, but, you know, I don't, again, not having seen Hamilton, that is reaching people who I'm sure don't have the hip hop. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. So, so maybe they found a way They cracked the code, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe, I mean, it's possible, you know, as, as we have this conversation, maybe it's just all these little things yeah. adding up, you know, it, it, it might be just the way the show is. Maybe I just was in, most interested in following the things that were most clear right. or something, I, you know. Yeah, like the right things worked for you. Yeah, I and mean, it's... I think we all have that experience with something. Just yeah. like the other day, I was like discussing a short story in my book club, and I was like, I loved this story. And everyone was like, well, like critique, critique, critique. And it was like, well, you know, I think I just loved it because like where, like where I am in my life right now, the right things jumped out and worked with that like it yeah. there's so much of that that goes on when you're enjoying something that it's yeah. just like sometimes it's just like the right things in a piece just work on like the level you need it to work on and like the stuff that maybe doesn't work or um you know is not as big a deal or um or it is work it ends up also working for you. Yeah, it just it just washes because yeah. the, the experience is working. No, you're absolutely right because I I think that ties into you know a, a common critique of the of Venice that I always find myself having to defend and feeling weird about having to defend because it's a critique I've made of many other things. Is people will say, well, the lyrics are they're a little sloppy and the rhymes are sloppy and mm-hmm. and their their lyrics are a little inexact and and some of them don't really make sense and and I find myself thinking, well, usually that's my complaint about things that I don't like. I mean, right. no one's more of a stickler for lyrics than me, but I didn't care this time. Yeah. I, you know, it's hard to explain why that is. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think it's just like, what are you willing to forgive? And like, if if other things are have risen to the top, then the things that you're usually critiquing, you sort of just, yeah, you forgive them and it's not as big of a deal. I, I hope that people will take away from this discussion, even if they saw Venice and hated mm-hmm. it, even if they have, you know, tried to give it a second chance, you know, and, and just it's, it's still so stupid to them. I hope that they're able to take away a, a sense of the value of examining even something you don't like Mm -hmm. critically and trying to take something away from it all right so we do this segment called why is this so good and for your pick it is a song from venice of course not have um you know could not have guessed (laughs) (laughs) um and it's the song last man which is the second song in the show um, and yeah, do you want to talk about why you picked this song? Uh, so this song is my favorite from the show. And I think that is 
a universal opinion among the five people who like Venice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it certainly certainly is one that was most praised in reviews when they had to say a good thing about mm-hmm. it. A lot of them pointed out this song. Two times for me and a shame on me. Three times, there's never three times. Cause I'm never foolish and you're never foolish. This is before Leslie Odom was a household name and a, yeah. a you know Tony winner and um, you know uh, forever associated with Aaron Burr um, and honestly it's it's kind of a similar role uh, uh, and a bit of a similar song it's kind of a sort of mid uh, you know mid tempo jam uh, villain song that's that's not you know super evil but is, mm-hmm. is a little more uh, complex and, and yeah. brooding and, and which is very similar to, to wait for it in a way and mm-hmm. that it's it's just like an incredibly catchy song yeah, great for the hook. villain <laughs> that that just like it has this drive and it has it's complex and um, you know examines his motivations and and sort of gives his backstory and his reason for why he is the way he is and and um, you know I mean it's great and it's, it's funny because it's sort of in, in Venice, which was a very, uh, you know, had kind of a modern and unconventional sensibility in terms of its structure as a musical in certain ways, uh, has this very kind of archetypal villain song mm-hmm. is, you know, that's a, that's a classic kind of, uh, musical theater song going back to, you know, uh, you know, uh, Judd's, uh, Lonely Room. Right, right. And, uh, so it's it's a pretty clear and and almost obvious song, but it's just such a good execution of it. I love a song that makes you understand the villain and right. and want to watch them. Right. You right. know, you don't necessarily want to root for them, but you you want to have fun rooting against them. Yeah. And and this song really establishes that. It it, it puts you firmly in the camp of like, okay, this character is great. I want to know what he's going to do. I want to see how he's going to execute this plan, yeah. whatever his sinister plan is. Um, you know, and it was staged in it pretty pretty excitingly too. He had this sort of all these candles around, and at the end they all go out, and it was. Oh, I don't remember this at all, but that sounds really yeah, exciting. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was. It, you know, at the end he comes up and like goes to blow the candles out, and, and of course they're like electrical, so like yeah. all the candles go out and one, yeah, yeah. one go, and it's like ooh, right, right. Um, you know, it's it's very it's very exciting, and um, and I love what the song is is about. I, I I think the lyric is really great actually, and I think it is a little kind of opaque in a way that is acceptable for the style. Um, and I think he really, in his performance, brings out what, what's being said in, in an exciting way. And to me, it's about, I mean, it's about like toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's sort of like a, a, you know, this guy who, you know, has this bootstrap narrative about how he, he's, you know, walked this hard road and, yeah. um, and he has this intense fear of being made a fool. And, uh, you know, it really reminds me of a lot of sort of the villains of our real world right now. And, yeah. um, except he's, uh, you know, maybe much more conniving than some of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, his, his desire for power and, 
you know, and all that comes through in this song is just really a jam. And I, yeah. I feel like the the music conveys so much of that sensibility. And and it, and in a song that doesn't have a lot of wild changes in tempo or dynamic, still finds so many different colors yeah. in in the course of the song uh, to explore. Um, just little things in the way it's it's arranged and 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 uh, the variation of the cadence of the rap portions. And, yeah. Uh, I particularly love the bridge most of all, um, and that's where he especially like does a lot of this like sort of this vocal inflection. Which part is the? Can you remind me of the bridge? Part? And the bridge goes. I have a clip of it that you could you could drop in. sound like the rest of the song at all. Yeah, it's 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 this fascinating break from it and it's so you know, it's a little bit out of time and it's so I, I love that lyric. I, I love the the way he sings it and that, that vocal inflection that he's doing that's so yeah. interesting. He's he's doing these sort of uh vowels that are yeah that have this kind of accent to them and um you know the uh, it's just the sinisterness of it feels so much more uh, present in the this beautiful part of the song. You know, yeah. the, it's very lovely and and um, melodic there, yeah. and and yet what he's saying is so twisted, and, yeah. and that I'll you know I'll hide and pretend to be you know, uh, and they won't know, and the the dog by your side has the worst bite mm -hmm. and I will uh, there's no ladder for me to climb so I will pull the plug on Venice mm -hmm. which is the time that the metaphor of the city being named Venice works most effectively in the entire show right. <laughs> <laughs> I will pull the plug on Venice and watch it sink while I rise mm -hmm. and like that's just you know the, the megalomaniac that he is is so clear in that moment even as he sings it so sweetly and is and, and with such seeming mental clarity yeah, yeah. and i really i just dig that song so much and then yeah. it goes back into that one time for yeah me. that's i mean you know? it's interesting when i was listening to it i'm like i really just love the like these repetitive parts are just like you know you don't think like you know in songs like you know don't be repetitive but like it it really works in this like it yeah. just keeps coming back to that like i mean and every time it comes back you're like yeah this is it. <laughs> you know? yeah it just it just builds and it works and it works like a pop song should but but does those things in the service of drama and and that to me is so exciting yeah, and, I, yeah. and that's something that you know as as i've talked about a hundred times already in this podcast probably like you know musicals struggle to do that well mm -hmm. pop songs struggle to integrate in that way well and i think this is a really successful example that that just you know if i hadn't already been on board after the opening number this one really just knocked my socks off yeah um and and yeah that's a it's just it's a banger we are going to end with um our segment where we talk about you know what upcoming or current musical theater we are excited about okay um i 
would say currently, I've already mentioned the band's visit yeah. that, uh, way back at the beginning, and so go see that for sure. Another currently running show that I thought was wonderful is Once on this Island. Oh, yeah, I did see that and very much enjoyed that yeah. revival. And I'm also excited about My Fair Lady, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I watched over and over on VHS as a kid. There is a new musical that I am ex- yeah. excited for, um, and it's, it's a little bit in the distant future, and I'm sure you are probably also excited for it uh, because it is by someone we know. Oh, yeah. And it is yeah. a strange loop. Right? This came up to... with, uh, on the last. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, not surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so I mean, there's just so few new musicals to be excited about. Unfortunately, that uh, that are coming to that are having major productions that um, will probably you know mention the same ones. <laughs> yeah, Michael R. Jackson's A Strange Loop, a wonderful and uh, confrontationally bizarre musical in the best way i say that with absolute adoration thank you so much for being on the podcast so exciting to have you thank you so much for having me and for indulging me in in sort of bringing my screed about this uh this championing this this hated musical it's an important discussion and i think i if if anything i hope the show gets more more fans Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.